the Victory Studios in downtown Little Rock. This is Capital View. Good Sunday morning to you and welcome into Capital View. I'm Mallory Brooks. Four forums have been held in two weeks concerning the future of the Little Rock School District. We have a panel here to discuss that. Senator Linda Chesterfield joins us. Dr. Anika Whitfield with Grassroots Arkansas. Molly Humphreys, a mother passionate about education. And Senator Will Bond all join us to discuss LRSD. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Certainly a hot topic to say the least right now. Several tense, heated meetings. I want to start with the goal. Local control is the goal. What do you believe would it would take to make this happen? We're going to start with you, Dr. Anika. It would simply be a decision by the State Board of Education to release the Little Rock School District back to the people. And part of that would also be to announce that there is a public election on, in November of this year so that we can elect democratically representative, um, uh, representative board of the people. Okay, Senator Chesterfield. Oh, I think it's as simple as the board saying the same. Uh, when uh, Pulaski County was under state control, uh, I represent both districts. So when Pulaski County was under state control, uh, we continued to lobby. And it was a simple matter of the board saying, we're going to give it back to the people in Pulaski County Special School District. I think it's that simple. It's not that complex, but I think they're trying to make it so. Mm -hmm. Well, I agree. I think one thing, you, when you go to these public meetings, uh, you can tell that the vast majority of the folks who are attending them are for a return of local mm -hmm. control uh, to a locally elected school board. I think there are some technical aspects that we can talk about as far as board size and, and the actual election date due to some election laws, but the time for the board to announce that decision that we're going back to local control is now, and then we can worry about some of the technical aspects of how that gets done mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. Well, you do know we've changed the uh, number of board members for school districts over 20,000. You have to have a nine-member school board now rather than uh, the previous number, so that was enacted into law uh, in this last session. Okay, Molly, what do you think? Um, I agree with all three of them. I, I think it's time for it to come back to local control. Um, that's definitely not a disputed point. Um, but with what Senator Bond spoke about, as far as the technicalities of it, I think they can return it pretty easily. Um, I would like to see a plan in place so that we don't repeat any of the same behaviors that have been repeated in the past. And I think we owe it to the students to do that. And talking to all of you right now, everyone agrees uh, they want local control. And it seems like that is the common goal. You go to one of these meetings and you are hearing shouting and it's getting very tense. What is the big disagreement at this point um, that's really holding things up? I think you have to appreciate the fact that our school was hijacked um, back in 2015. And so literally our children have been abducted from us. The resources that they need, our, our ability to voice what happens to our own children has been taken away from us. And so four and a half years later, you're hearing the passion of the people saying, let our children go. Well, I think too that we've got to be very, very cognizant of the fact that when individuals are treated as adults, they act as adults. Uh, what happened in meetings one and four uh, is indicative of what really is uh, how people want to do. Uh, but to tell people that we're going to get at the table like we're in the first and second grade and we're going to have to work in groups and then we'll come out, well, suppose somebody in that group's voice was not heard. We simply wanted in meetings two and three for them to be like meeting one and to change the rules 
uh, when we changed the location was something that was objected to strenuously. But to continue to talk as if we were on the verge of, of beating each other up is simply a disservice to the people there. People can be passionate, people can speak uh, in a way that is passionate, but there was no incident at all that would lead to police being called. There was nothing to say that people were not going to be respectful of each other. We just agree to disagree many times. And that's what's troubling is people were painting meetings two and three like it was a big brawl, and it certainly was not. I want to, uh, Senator Devon, I'm going to ask you this question. Let's say it goes back to local control. That goal is met. How does the state um, board of education move the district to local control and ensure that it's done well? You know, at the point whenever it was taken over, due to academic reasons, and that's why the state did take control. How is it done well this time? Well, number one, I think uh, legally and the technical aspects of it, it's my opinion that it needs and has to return to local control. One, I think the, the vision for these schools that are struggling, keep in mind, the one thing we don't talk about is all the wonderful success stories that mm -hmm. exist in the LRSD with particular students or with mm -hmm. particular schools. There's a lot of great things going on. It's time for the, the local folks to get back in charge and address where we're struggling. And I think this idea of community schools where the wraparound services are offered there at the school, where we quit blaming teachers and, the, and even the administrators in the building for all the problems and understand that we're all in this together and that each of us has a responsibility to all these kids. As Senator Elliott, who's not here, and Senator Chesterfield, a founder, saying, we're too small a state to leave anybody behind. Mm -hmm. So it's all our obligation. And keep in mind that the local board had it, the state had it, and we still struggle with some of the same issues. And it's time for the local board to get it back, understanding the past, and, and charging towards the future mm -hmm. with this new idea that sort of we each have an individual responsibility to make sure that each kid has a opportunity for an incredible education in a very diverse environment. You made a good point there. Teachers are amazing. I mean, teachers are true angels, taking mm -hmm. care of our kids, equipping them. We want to set them up for success. Um, Molly, you're passionate about this, and testing is something you've talked about um, with all of this. Yes, testing seems to come to the forefront every time we talk about education. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a hard subject, in my opinion, because it doesn't give an accurate account of a child's ability. In saying that, it should be a almost passive number instead of something that we base all of our decisions on. What we need to be looking at is what are the needs of the child? Are they being taken care of the moment they step you know, foot onto that campus? And can we take care of those so that we can teach these children to read, write, and do math and do it effectively mm -hmm. so that they can continue to go on? And I just don't think those things have been done equitably across the district lately. So, and I don't know that they, I mean, I don't know that they really ever have. And so that's something that I hope moving forward with whatever board that we have, hopefully a locally elected board, um, that that will be a priority. Mm -hmm. And obviously this is not something that will be solved overnight. This will take time. Um, there's another meeting coming up Tuesday scheduled for 5.30. What would be successful in this meeting? What would be something that could come out of this um, next Tuesday? What's your opinion? 
Um, the success would be for the State Board of Education to let us know on that night to announce that they are restoring the entire Little Rock School District back to the people, that we will have a democratically elected board, and they will set a date for that board election. Do you see that happening? Could that happen? Do, in any of your opinions, do you, any of you believe that could happen on Tuesday? I think it should happen, and the timing, I think we are, as Senator Chesterfield said, we're sometimes we're getting bogged down in technicalities, and I think some of the passion of these meetings is because the board uh, or the, the department has been a re sort of resistant and saying, okay, it is going back to local control. Let's talk about how we do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that is the discussion that would be very positive for everyone to get on past whether it's going back or not, just say it is, and let's talk about how we get that done. And, and then we as a community must pitch in. Mm -hmm. uh, I envision it uh, since we're talking about it, and it is a community issue, that we have churches that adopt schools, mm -hmm. that we have sororities and fraternities that adopt schools, that we have the Rotary Club, the Kiwanis Club, that will adopt a school, and then provide those kids who have greater needs with some one-on-one -on -one interventions and letting them know that this community cares about you. This has been so wonderful to see full participation. I mean, the, the rooms have been full, people have been vocal, mm -hmm. and you're seeing a diverse group of parents and teachers and support staff and, and kids. Mm -hmm. Kids coming out and expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. That's what education is about. That's it is so about true. the involvement of everybody. And so I think if we do that, the board should give us back our district. Unfortunately, we are out of time. We could talk about this all day. I would love to have all of you back on, dedicate the entire show to talking about education. And I know this will be a topic we will continue to talk about. So thank you for taking time on this Labor Day weekend. It's the biggest issue facing Little Rock right now. And if mm -hmm. we do it right, we'll look back to 2019 and says this, this is where we changed the entire city. That's we right. right. Goosebumps. <laughs> thank you so much all thank for you. joining us on Capitol View. Coming up, oh, and we do want to note before we go to break, we did reach out to the Arkansas Department of Education. They were unable to take part in this panel on a holiday weekend. Coming up after a quick break, more medical marijuana dispensaries are opening up in the state and casinos continue to make an impact. Scott Harden with the Department of Finance and Administration join us next with updates. You're watching Capitol View on Sunday morning. You're watching Capital View, Sunday morning talk focused on the political scene in Arkansas. Welcome back to Capital View on the Sunday morning. Medical marijuana and casinos continue to be hot topics here in Arkansas. Scott Harden from the Department of Finance and Administration joins us with updates on both. Thank you for joining us this morning. It's good to be here. Let's start with something that's actually being implemented today, a change now on tobacco products and the age you can purchase them. What is this change? That's true. As of today, the uh, Act 580 from this past legislative session uh, requires that you have to be 19 by the end of 2019 to purchase tobacco products beginning today. So uh, I think there's some misinformation out there. I think people are, are looking in, at this and thinking as of September 1st, I have to be 21 to purchase tobacco products. It's implemented over three years or two years actually. It's 19 as of today, 20 next year, and then 20 the following year. So basically a simple way to look at this is if you turn 19 before the end of 2019, you can continue to purchase tobacco products as of today, next year going on. If you're not 19 by the end of this year, you're going to have to wait until you're 21. And this is all tobacco products. This is including vaping products as well. It's vaping products. It's uh, everything tobacco wise. And also, uh, additionally, it takes the state minimum percentage of a pack of cigarettes. Uh, when you buy a pack of cigarettes, they have to charge a minimum of seven and a half percent markup on that. 
that number now moves to nine and a half percent. So smokers are going to see a little bit of a difference there. Okay, all starting today. Let's talk about medical marijuana. Some new numbers just coming out in the past few days. Yeah, we just ran the numbers just this afternoon, and we are now officially over a thousand pounds. Wow. Uh, you know, the first dispensary opened May the 10th, and we had one dispensary open, two dispensaries open uh, that first month, and then for about a month only had two. We're now at eight, uh, and we see now a total of a thousand pounds moving forward. It's I think the question is, will we hit 2,000 pounds by the end of the year? So uh, things are really moving along. Uh, we think at this point we have eight dispensaries open. Uh, we think October is going to be a really busy month, and mm -hmm. we'll probably see quite a few additional dispensaries open. Really? So more in the future? I think so. And uh, the big question here in central Arkansas is how about Little Rock? Uh, mm -hmm. We have Hensley, which is about 19 miles down the road, but uh, we're still waiting on Little Rock, and I think that's going to be just around the corner. Okay. Northwest Arkansas had a few just in the past two or three weeks, several pop up there as well. Yeah, we have two in Bentonville. We have a third uh, located in Fayetteville that will mm -hmm. be here opening in the next couple of weeks. Okay. Always busy with medical marijuana. Casinos, another hot topic. How, where do we stand right now with the Pope County Casino? You know, Pope County, it, it really has been a roller coaster getting to this point. Uh, at this point, the Racing Commission, uh, they recently reopened a new application period. So for 90 days through November the 18th, uh, anyone, I say anyone, if they can obtain that letter of support, which is certainly, I don't think, I shouldn't put it flippantly, it's going to take some work, but uh, if someone can obtain that letter of support, uh, the application period remains open through November the 18th. At the end of that 90 days, the Racing Commission then takes a look at it and determines uh, where do we go next and uh, I guess do we award this license. So you also have that outside litigation that could play a role. So a lot to watch in Polk County. And the Pine Bluff Casino, full construction going on there right now. They're doing having great. John Fairs getting ready for that. Yeah, they're doing great. They're moving along. Uh, ground is broken. And actually, before the big resort opens, they'll have a, a smaller uh, facility. It'll have about what I understand to be 300 machines uh, nearby. So even before that big resort opens, you'll also have the ability to play just here, I think by October is what they're saying. Okay, keep our eye on that. Let's talk about something else Arkansans may not be familiar with starting in October of 2020. It's called the Real ID and explain this and why some people may need it to fly or have to have it to fly. You have to have it, right. So. Uh, we are about one year out on October 1st, 2020 to board an airplane or enter a federal courthouse, uh, a military base, anything like that. You're going to have to have that real ID. So if you fly, if you're a frequent traveler and you don't have your real ID, I would seriously consider it because as we bump up against October of 2020, you're going to see a rush. Uh, as it stands now, we have about 10% of our Kansans that have mm -hmm. one. Uh, that number is going to jump tremendously. We know that. Uh, it, it's really, it's a federal requirement. After 9-11, the federal government said, let's create a secure ID that each state issues that we can ensure the person with that ID is who they say they are. And uh, in order to board an airplane, you're gonna have to have that. So wow. I would really encourage Arkansans, if you haven't considered it, or you don't know much about it, uh, Google it, just put Real ID Arkansas, it'll pull up some information and obtain that before October of 2020. That's right, so if my driver's license is up, um, you know, in two years, but mm -hmm. I know I'm gonna be flying at some point late next year, I'm gonna need to go in and get that real ID. The real ID is not required though, you don't have to get it. You don't have to get it, there's no requirement. You can uh, maintain your regular license. However, if you just wanna switch over, even if your license is good for uh, a number of years, you can go in today, do that, change it, and it's only a cost of $10. So. Uh, again, something that you'll be hearing a lot about over the next mm -hmm. year. 
uh, but I would encourage people to go ahead and get out ahead of that. What is different? How does it differentiate from a driver's license? Does it look very different? Really, the thing that different, it, I mean, it doesn't look different. You have a big gold star in the right-hand corner. So okay. uh, you'll see a campaign, get your gold star, because you're going to have to have that. Um, and, uh, you know, states, some are running a little bit behind. Arkansas was on time. We've had this in place for, for quite some time. Uh, but again, it's going to be an important part for those that, that travel or you're in and out of a, a courthouse every day. Uh, I'd go ahead and get that. Very important. You'll be hearing a lot more about that um, in the coming months leading up to October of 2020, I can imagine. Anything else happening at your office? It's always very busy. Casinos, medical marijuana, now this ID issue. Yeah. Anything else you guys are tackling? Uh, there is a, a lot going on. You know, th those are just, I mean, I don't want to say small pieces of DFNA because they're not. They're important parts mm -hmm. of DFNA. Uh, but you also have the, just the day-to-day -day budgeting. You have the, uh, the revenue side of it, mm -hmm. the, those folks that uh, work extremely hard, and I know I'm, I'm grateful for. Uh, DFNA is a busy, busy place, and mm -hmm. uh, the head of our agency, Larry Walther, is a busy man. I can imagine. Scott Harden with the Department of Finance and Administration, thank you for joining us. Hopefully you. you all can get a break on Labor Day tomorrow. Yes. When we come back, we take a look at your top political headlines. You're watching Capitol View on Sunday morning. Stick around. in Arkansas. Welcome back to Capitol View. Only 10 Democratic presidential candidates have qualified to take part in the next debate scheduled for September. NBC News reports that Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Dewey Castro, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Beta O'Rourke, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Andrew Yang will all be on stage. Candidates had to meet a minimum criteria of 130,000 unique individual donors and at least 2% in four of 21 recognized polls. It appears the September showdown will feature all 10 qualifying candidates on stage together for one night. More than 20 Democratic candidates remain in that race, but five have recently withdrawn, including Senator Kristen Gillibrand Wednesday night. More will likely follow as the prospect of making future debate stages dims. The Republican National Convention is just a year away with the city of Charlotte hosting the event on Tuesday. The convention committee launched a bus tour of the Carolinas. They're spreading the word about the 2020 convention and working to enlist 8,000 volunteers for the event. The tour began in Charlotte and will go to Winston-Salem, High Point University, and the state capitol in Raleigh. On Wednesday, the tour goes to South Carolina with stops in Greenville and Columbia. On Thursday, there's a visit to Charleston and then back over the border to Charlotte. The Republican National Convention was held August 24th through the 27th. Conservative radio host and former Illinois representative Joe Walsh will challenge President Trump for the Republican presidential nomination in 2020. He released this campaign ad called Be Brave on his website. Just last week, Walsh published an op-ed in the New York Times apologizing for helping elect President Trump. Former Massachusetts Governor Bill Weld was the first Republican to launch a primary challenge to Trump. Senator Johnny Isaacson, a Georgia Republican and chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, will resign at the end of the year. The 74-year-old said in a statement that his Parkinson's disease has been progressing and he revealed a recent surgery to remove a growth on his kidney. The move creates another vacancy in the Senate for 2020. Isaacson would not have been up for re-election until 2022. Under state law, Georgia's Republican governor will appoint a temporary replacement and then a special election is likely to take place in November of 2020. 
U.S. immigration officials are defending new citizenship rules for children born to some U.S. military and federal employees serving outside of the country. But the administration is facing criticism for the rule change and for the way it was announced. Washington correspondent Alexandra Limon has the details on what those new rules say and who they apply to. U.S. immigration officials announced new citizenship rules for children born to some military and federal employees while they're serving outside of the U.S. The children born to non-citizen parents will now have to return to the United States, physically live in the country for five years, then apply for citizenship before the child turns 18. This includes children of legal permanent residents. Our servicemen and women give everything for this country, and this is the respect that President Trump shows for the service. The initial announcement was made with this memo online and it caused an uproar at U.S. installations around the world. Immigration officials had to then clarify that the rule change will not apply to the children of U.S. citizens. But the fact of the matter is you have a lot of non-U.S. citizens in the military. Lawrence Korb is a former assistant secretary of defense, retired Navy captain and senior fellow at the Center for American Progress. Without immigrants in the military, we wouldn't be able to maintain our volunteer military. Korb says the change may actually discourage military service. If those men and women are overseas and their children are not U.S. citizens, whereas if they had stayed in the United States, they would be. That is a policy that undermines uh, rationality and military readiness. Immigration officials say they don't believe the new rule creates more burdens for immigrants who serve our country. In Washington, Alexandra Limon. Alexandra, thank you. Immigration officials also told our reporter that the State Department asked for the change for consistency and the new rules will apply to children born after October 29th. We are back to wrap it up right after this. You're watching Capitol View on Sunday morning. You're watching Capitol View, Sunday morning talk focused on the political scene in Arkansas. And that is it for today's show. Don't forget, you can now take Capital View on the go. Download the Capital View podcast wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. Have a great rest of a three-day Labor Day weekend. We'll see you next week.